Welcome to the Structure of English Words. I'm Will Laban. For many years, I was a professor in the linguistics department. I recently retired, and I'm one of the authors of our textbook, English Vocabulary Elements. The textbook grew out of a course I started to develop about 25 years ago. Tonight, I'll talk about what makes English so special. I have to mention that this was once quite a leap for me, since for the longest time, I took English more or less for granted. I began my career as a linguist in Africa, spending a total of five years in different parts of West Africa over the past few decades. But the closer I looked at English, the more interesting it became. Even exotic, for example, our R sound is very rare among the languages of the world. And more importantly for this course, our language is unusually open to new borrowings and coinages, as we'll see later on in the course. But let's start by looking over the course outline. After tonight's introduction, we'll move on to study the most important historical events that shaped our language and that gave it its unusual character, including its huge vocabulary. We'll spend weeks three, four, and five on the structure of our vocabulary, the elements that words can be broken down into, the sounds that make up those elements, and how one sound or element influences another. Then, in weeks six and seven, we'll move on to topics that keep English the most alive, how word meanings change and how the rules of usage change over time. The basic pattern, as we'll discover, is that no single word of English has escaped a change in meaning over the course of time, not even a or the. We'll end in weeks eight and nine by putting English in the context of other members of the Indo-European family of languages, where we'll note many characteristics that survive from the mother tongue as it was originally spoken about 6,000 years ago. Every week, we'll have a quiz on word elements from the chapter that we're working on at the time. If you're taking the course for credit, you'll also be doing a term project described in the course outline. To begin with, let me hope out loud that this course will turn out to be about much more than what I myself have planned here. But I, I start with this quote from uh, Dylan Thomas uh, that, uh, let's just read it, I fell in love, that is, that is the only expression I can think of at once, and am still at the mercy of words, though sometimes now, knowing a little of their behavior very well, I think I can influence them slightly and have even learned to beat them now and again, which they appear to enjoy. Okay, what a wonderful philosophy, all right? So there is a respect, a love for the language, but it's not, it's not putting the language on a pedestal, okay? Uh, Thomas has the, the confidence and the knowledge to dare to influence the language in some way. And I think that's a, that's a good kind of spirit to go into the, into the course with. All right. Okay. So, what's so special about English? <clears throat> it's the most widely spoken language in the world. It doesn't have the most uh, native speakers. Mandarin beats it by uh, quite a bit. But in terms of geographical distribution, there's no language on the globe that is so widely spoken as a first and second language. Uh, uh, we'll show you a map in a, in a minute. It has the largest vocabulary of all of the languages in the world. There are more words in English than in any other language. And structurally, uh, and this will, this will interest those of you who uh, have 
a passion for linguistics. Structurally, English is such that it can incorporate, it can borrow, it can steal things from other, it can make things up out of the clear blue, and they'll still fit in. All right, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll give some uh, examples of that in a moment. So I'd like to devote this, uh, this first hour to talking about these uh, three extraordinary features of the, of the language. Here's a, a map from, uh, from a website that you see up there about uh, how English spread across the world. It starts, starts up here, and it, uh, we have a d division between British and American English. Okay, we get the sort of English that, uh, that we hear in the US and Canada. And then from there, this kind of English has spread into a few other uh, places in the world, Hawaii, Philippines as a second language, and so on. British English, on the other hand, has, uh, has spread into, for example, West Africa because of uh, British colonial rule and so on, into other places, East Africa, into India and, uh, and other places, again, because, uh, largely because of colonialism, Australia, and so on. So you see that over time, English has really spread and taken up a, a large uh, portion of the globe. And because no other language, if we traced a, a, a map for other languages, no other language would, would come close, really, to this distribution. Um, and this is a sore point still with some people notably the French, <laughs> who really wish that their language, who considered their language, and rightly so, a universal language, who colonized parts of the world, West Africa, Vietnam, other places, and, uh, and spread their language there, who, uh, when their empire started to retrench, um, uh, tried other ways to uh, make French more important in the world. So there are huge initiatives to propagate French on the internet, for example. All right. But English, English is just uh, uh, moving a lot faster. Vocabulary size. Russian has a fairly large vocabulary, 130,000 words. French, 150,000 words in the largest dictionary of French. German has a few more, 50,000 or so more. And then there's English. Look, more than double. The no this is in Webster's Third International Dictionary that appeared, oh, in the 1980s, I think, sometime. 450,000 words, more than double the, uh, its, its closest rival. It includes all technical words. It does not include, uh, if you have sweep and sweeps, it doesn't include just adding the S. But all distinct words, and if you have sweep and sweeper and carpet sweeper, okay, and so on, each, each of those will be uh, a word. So for very common words, you, you, you get many that are related to sweep. For technical words, you get all these that, that only a few people know. Those, those all... all uh, uh, th those all count. There are, th there are no doubt, uh, I, have to, I have to amend my answer to your question, there are no doubt technical words that did not get into Webster's third 
All right. That, uh, and so they didn't count the treasures 450,000. 450,000 is pretty much the count of unique words in Webster's Third. Educated person, would you estimate, have in their vocabulary? I've, I've, I've done a little reading about this, I, I, uh, but before I share my, my answer, I want to know if we have anyone uh, else here who might be, I don't know, an educator or something. I'd, I'd guess in the vicinity of 75,000. All right. Could be 25,000 less, could be 25,000 more, depending on, on things. And, uh, and finally, on your question about uh, technical words, pro uh, prob probably if you, if you took technical words of you know, all of the sciences and so on, uh, the knowledge that's accumulating every, every year that most of us are not exposed to, that probably adds many, many more, you know, 50,000 or more to the 450,000 in the language. So, I mean, it's a, it's a huge number. And uh, that's impressive, but it raises the question, why? How did that happen? What is it about English? Is it something about the history of the language? Is it the fact that it covered a large portion of the, the earth, and so people from different portions of the earth contributed to our vocabulary? Is it because of some intrinsic linguistic structural flexibility that English can acquire words? Is it a cultural thing? Is it something about the people who speak English that makes them more willing to accept, to invent, and to accept new words? What's going on? And I think the answer to that is probably all of the above. The wide distrib uh, geographical distribution of English means that speakers of English, the ones who propagated English, English to Philippines or Singapore or uh, West Africa, that those, those people were exposed to foreign languages and they pick, picked up uh, words there from, from the, the foreign languages that then got incorporated to, into English. Furthermore, English now being spoken in Nigeria and uh, uh, in China and Malaysia and, and different places. English um, is being affected by speakers who learned of, uh, a different language as their first language and who uh, are just picking up English as a second language, but they speak it well enough, they use it on the web, they text people and so on. They're, uh, speakers who, uh, who didn't grow up speaking English are still contributing new vocabulary to the English language. So that's, that's uh, causing uh, uh, the, the word stock to increase in number. Um, <clears throat> it's also true that uh, in the history of English, going way back uh, uh, around the, the, the time of the beginning of Middle English, so roughly 1066 AD, the, uh, the time of the Norman Conquest, um, French-speaking invaders took over England. And as a result, uh, they implanted a new language, French, on British soil. What happened is 
not what happened when the French colonized West Africa or when they colonized other places. What happened in the British Isles is that the, uh, the French didn't impose their language. The language of the British Isles after the Norman Conquest remained English. But that language now, that language English, was being spoken by French people who had all of their Latin-derived French vocabulary. And they just used those words in English just the way if you're a Spanish speaker, when you're speaking in, in, in the US, you'll use Spanish terms in your speech you know, just very, very normally. That led to virtually a doubling of the vocabulary of English. We'll look at that in a little more detail next time when we talk about the, the history of the language. But essentially, around uh, the, uh, the 11th century, uh, English uh, uh, all of a sudden had its original vocabulary stock from Anglo-Saxon, all of those four-letter words. And it added uh, a, a whole new vocabulary stock from French. That, that came from Latin, all right? Doubled the vocabulary in, in effect. Yeah? Uh, it's like you're looking at it from the point of view of- we, And I have to ask you to speak up, both for me and for uh, the, the microphone. Well, you're, I think you're talking in terms of English is expanding, but what yeah. about the point of view of it's actually contracting in, in the process of dumbing down? In other words, you don't hear the, the, the king's English spoken. So that, yeah. yes, there may be more English words, but you know when you, when you hear of an, English, an educated English person, and then you hear a typical American, you realize that, yeah. wait a minute, there's, it, it's refreshing to hear good English spoken, but you yeah. don't hear that. In, yeah. in other words, people use limited, it's, vocabularies are limited. It's, uh, it's true. I think that the, the, the situation is changing. I think that it's, it's very complicated. In fact, uh, you use the term good English, and I, ha I have to ask you all, what constitutes good English, all right? Is that, uh, when, when you say good English, do we all mean the, the same thing by, by that? I don't know if we can answer that today, but I would like to make that one of the main questions that we ask. So let's try to discover facts that will tell us what, what is good English, okay? Who, who decides what's good, all right? and who decides what's bad and so on. In fact, there's a, there's a, we've got a session on um, uh, the, seventh, the, the seventh class is what's correct English and who gets to decide, where we'll, we'll address that, that question in particular. So uh, what you're raising is an important point. The, the, the language is expanding in one sense, but as a vehicle for communication, a vehicle for aesthetic expression, um, is it better off or worse off than before the expansion? All right, so important question to consider. Maybe the most important question that we'll consider in the course. What else? Yes, go ahead. One of the things is the issue of correct usage as grammatical versus colloquial. So that expands speech but doesn't address what you're So what? French, on the contrary, narrow as much as possible. Good. So, uh, yeah, that, that's interesting. So, uh, the, the, take the term good English. I think a lot of us will take that to mean correct English. All right? What's correct English? Well, 
um, what is correct English? How, uh, how, uh, I, I, I bet, uh, let's just explore this a little bit. How, how, what, what, what do we use as our standard of correctness? You know, I guess I'd like to argue the point that you said good English is correct English. I think good English is the capacity to communicate verbally a complicated thought in a way that gets the idea across and also be able to express that thought back. Okay, so good means able to communicate as perfectly as, as you can someone's thought to someone else. Right? So you have this thought, you can encode it into words, you can give the message, and that message will be, be received by someone else. And that, uh, to the extent that your language does that, it's good. Is that? Yeah. yeah. Um, but then that would be dependent on the listener and what they understand. Right. And if you're, you know, if you're talking to an eighth grader versus a graduate student at Stanford, yeah. you would have to... And, and the whole point is getting, you know, communicating your point, then you wouldn't use the same language, yet it might be correct with the eighth grader versus the graduate student. So, whom you're talking to, I purposely used the M in whom, okay? Whom you're talking to, well, <laughs> because I'm trying to be correct on the first class. <laughs> um, uh, whom you're talking, whom you're addressing, actually helps to determine whether your English is good or not. There, good means appropriate, appropriate to the context. And also, it means good in the sense of successful. That is, if I use the same words to an eighth grader that I've been using with you, I'm not going to be successful. So uh, to that extent, my English wasn't good, even though it may have been correct. Right? I put the M on whom and so on, and still didn't get through. It's correct, but not very good. Okay, interesting distinction. You had your hand up, and then you. Well, I'm thinking that a truly good communicator of the English language would have to anticipate those differences, though, and then adapt their use of the English language to yeah. an eighth grader and a Stanford graduate student. You can't yeah. just pick the graduate student and apply that to everyone. That's not good English. Good. So, uh, what... what uh, it, it, what we're coming to, I think, is a very quick realization that English isn't one thing. Okay, The English that we're speaking here, it's recognizable as English, I hope. It's communicating, I hope. But it's only one form of, and it's appropriate, I hope. But it's only one form of the language. If I uh, use that with my little kids, uh, it's, it, it not only wouldn't get through, it would, <laughs> it would make, make them think, think funny things about me, right? It just wouldn't, wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't communicate what I wanted to, and it would communicate something that I don't want to. Dad, you're weird, okay? What, you know, why, why do you talk like that? There's also a difference between written language and spoken language. Okay. If you read kids, I mean, you need text messaging, you need a translate. <laughs> Good. So uh, we have written language and spoken language. We have uh, spoken language that's spoken to peers, spoken in informal context, spoken in formal context, 
spoken in context, I, I, I couldn't label this context formal or informal. Okay, I don't know any of you, so that makes the context somewhat formal. On the other hand, look at, look at how we're all dressed, okay? It's not formal formal, if you know what I mean. If, 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 if you go back, fortunately we have a recording. We can go back and listen to the contractions that we've used in our speech. Contractions are, you know, informal. So here, we've got all these different types of language. Written language isn't one thing. The written language we used in text messaging, the written language that we used in emails, in letters to friends, in term papers, in grocery lists, whatever. The written language itself is highly diverse. Amazingly, all, all of us who speak the language well master all of those Englishes, if you will, and switch between them without thinking much about it. I don't have to say to myself, oh, uh, 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 these, uh, uh, these are just kids. I better dumb down my language or something like that. How I speak to certain people, Kind of, it just it just comes automatically. Automatically, we know the language so well that we can switch between what linguists call registers, okay, uh, styles of language that are appropriate to a certain situation. All right. One of the interesting things to do in this course would be to break down what all the different registers are for spoken language and written language. And I think I think when when we do and look at them we'll find some differences in opinion uh, among you. Often, I, 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 I think, uh, may, maybe this is partly because I'm a linguist, but when I, when I talk with relatives, I swear we, we spend more time on English than any other, any other subject. Maybe they're, maybe they're self-conscious talking around a linguist. I don't, know, I don't know what it is, but people, I've also found this in West Africa, by the way, people are very, very, serious about the rules of their language. And if you say something that doesn't go by my rules, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wonder about that. What, does she know something I don't? Or is she, you know, is, uh, does she fail to master a rule? You know, what, what's going on here? So I think that if, if we try to break down all of the styles of speech that constitute English and talk really about how those hold together, what makes up this style, what are the rules here? I expect that we're going to find some real differences, and I welcome those. Okay, we would we would like we would like to examine those differences. Okay, this course this course is more about examining the the different aspects of the language than it is uh, trying to unify the language into one thing. I, I, I just don't know how, how how I'd begin if I tried to unify it. All right. Anyway, we have a, a, a huge vocabulary. Um, uh, I, I, I'm talking about uh, why, why that is. It, uh, uh, we'll see some linguistic reasons why uh, uh, English is very able to accommodate uh, languages. <clears throat> and and, and th that's really the topic of the next slide. So uh, in English, uh, if you have one word, uh, uh, we automatically 
uh, think of ways to use that in new ways, maybe by attaching a new prefix or a new suffix to it, but changing the word in, in, in some ways. Uh, uh, endings and prefixes acquire new life. We, uh, we expand their meanings. This is it's very abstract now, but in, in, in the next slide, we'll, be, we'll start to explore what I mean by that. Uh, parts of speech, nouns. We use nouns as verbs. We use them as adjectives. We use verb phrases as adjectives and so on. Uh, so what counts as a part of speech is, uh, is expanding. It, 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 uh, there, there's, no, there's no human language that, is not, that doesn't reflect the inventiveness of the speakers. Uh, English, from a structural standpoint, because, because English doesn't have to worry about a lot of endings. Okay, if you studied German or Latin or Finnish, or a language that has a lot of different cases, ablative case and locative case and so on, some languages have very strict rules about what, uh, what parts of a word can uh, occur after other parts. They're a little bit limited. But even within those limits, of course, speakers are very, very inventive. But uh, uh, the degree of our inventiveness is, uh, is, is extreme. And this is, this is what I'll try to show you now. Take the, the simple word clique, or if you wish, click, uh, which comes from the French word for club or gang. The Oxford English Dictionary has uh, 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 the following words that are derived from the word clique. Cliquish, and, uh, which is an adjective. Any adjective is going to have an adverb in ly. So cliquishly is the word. So from one word, clique, we're getting cliquish, cliquishly. Clique, cliqueism, OK, the, uh, the tendency to congregate in cliques, okay, or some, something like that. Cliquey, just like uh, yellowy or lazy, okay, we have cliquey. And, and if you have cliquey, an adjective, of course it's a comparative and a superlative. Cliquier, cliquiest, cliquiness. We also can clique. <laughs> to clique is, okay, I've never used the, the, the word. Although, try to, try to use it when you go home this evening. Try to use it on your spouse or you know, your, your family. OK. Uh, have, uh, do you clique? Do you enjoy cliquing? OK, something like that. But the, uh, the word is in the Oxford English Dictionary. Right. So from, from this one word that we borrowed from French, we have all of these derived words. Okay, Very, very regular. When you see them, even if you never heard them before, you know exactly what they mean. It doesn't mean you like them. doesn't mean you'll make the right impression when you use them with someone else. But you, you know what they mean, and, and they've, they've been used. We know they've been used because that's, that's the way the Oxford English language, uh, Dictionary gets them. They've been used in print somewhere. If you compare French now, who, who here speaks French relatively decently? OK, now, for you, let's ask in, in French, can you think of an adjective derived from clique? What it would look like? Well, 
there are, uh, there are adjective endings in French like AIS and OIS, okay, the, right, the cliquois, or, right? It, it, it doesn't, uh, and I've checked French dictionaries, it's not there. How about, uh, French has the, the suffix isme, okay, just like, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, what, uh, communisme, okay, communism, okay, but I don't think that cliquisme is in, in the French dictionary. Cliquey, no way. If cliquey is not there, then cliquey or cliquey is. Okay, you see, you see what I mean? So French started with this word. It's their word. We took it and we made a dozen new words from it. Whereas French has only got one. All right. Is it possible that people in France do alter the word that way, but they just don't put it in their dictionary the way we take every alteration and add it to the Oxford English Dictionary? Yeah, C certainly uh, it's possible. So there may be a cultural thing about uh, not, not putting spoken language in, into written form or, or something like that. Certainly, certainly that's possible. But again, uh, I, I'm going to suggest that this is one example. We'll see others where uh, in English, once the word comes in, all of a sudden, it starts replicating itself and it, it, it's spreading through the, through the language, adding, adding new, uh, new words, uh, you know, right and left. Well, let's look at another example. Another French uh, example. The, the, the suffix ee that we get in employee, advisee, amputee, draftee, <clears throat> that comes from French. We see it, we recognize that even if we, you don't speak French, we get it from in fiancé, for example. All right, that uh, it uh, the ee ending in French meant um, someone that an action has been performed on. So an employee is someone who has been employed. An advisee is someone who has been advised. An amputee, someone who has had a limb amputated. Okay, a draftee one who has been drafted, all right? That's the original French meaning. We got it, we put it on, uh, on a bunch of verbs. Next thing you know, <coughs> we put it on verbs that French could not possibly have used it on because French is much more strict about things than English. So look at absentee. Tell me the meaning. Use, uh, tell me the meaning of absentee using the word absent. Define absentee using the word absent in, in, in your definition. Someone. A person, a person who is frequently absent. Okay, a person who is absent. In fact, even if you're absent once, you're an absentee. We may have absentees tonight. Notice that this goes against a rule. Let's go back to employee. Employee, let's define employee using the verb employ. One who is employed, one who has been employed. One who has been drafted. One who has been absented. No, we're using the verb, we're, us we're using the word in a novel way. Absent is an adjective. Okay, the French wouldn't put ee on an adjective. The ee is their own ending. They have a rule saying it goes on verbs. In English, we're not aware of that French rule. Even if we, I'm, I'm aware of it, but I don't care about it. 
Now, it's a French rule. It doesn't belong in English. And so I feel perfectly free to use, uh, use EE in this way. Uh, standee. Define standee using the verb stand. One who stands. One who stands. Notice it's not one who is stood. All right. Same, same thing. So we're using the, the, the ending in a novel way, one that makes perfect sense to us, but that must make a, a Frenchman cringe, all right, because it goes against their rules. Doni. Doni is a double insult because we got the, the root, D-O-N, from French. It's a French verb root. We put a French ending on it, and yet it violates the rules of French. A donee is not one who has been given. A donee is one who has been given to. French has the, the root, D-O-N. They spell it with two N's, but it means to give. It has the ending E-E, but it does not have the word donee, or the French version of it, OK? Uh, same with uh, devotee. So uh, here's, here's another case where uh, we've taken something into English, and then we just ran with it in a way that the, the, the language that we uh, borrowed the word from wouldn't. Well, no wonder we're getting a lot of new words in English, and we're, uh, <laughs> we're beating the heck out of French in terms of size of vocabulary. Heck ista. Okay. A fashionista. Or now, everywhere, okay, thanks to Starbucks, I guess. Everybody knows a barista, all right? Okay, ista is another, it's an ending in Spanish and Italian. And it's, it's cognate, obviously, with the English ending I-S-T, as in artist, linguist, publicist, and, and so on, okay? So ista is the Spanish and Italian version of our ending I-S-T. So I suppose we could, uh, we could use native English endings, I-S-T, and, and have fashionist and barist, but that's not what we chose to do. Okay, fashionista, why did, we, why did we bother to take the A, the A ending, with the ista, and not just settle for what we already had, I-S-T? What do you think we were thinking? Or with barista, why, why aren't the Starbucks people called barists? What, okay, what, uh, okay, that's, 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 Sounds more exotic. Sounds more exotic, good. So a fashionista is not just a fashionist. If I call myself a fashionista, um, what, what do you, uh, or if I call, if I call you, uh, one of you, a fashionista, uh, is that a compliment? Could be. Most likely, yeah, it's most likely I'm saying you, you, you're overdoing it. Okay, fashionista is one who's kind of just very showy, wearing the latest things, you know, high heels and all, okay, all of these things. Fashionista is, is, is I think, not someone we admire. This is a kind of, uh, at least for some of us, uh, a sort of deprecatory sense that, that this word acquired for us that is certainly not present in, in barista. Okay, at any rate, just one more ending uh, there. Now let's go to um, uh, whole words. 
So you can call it inventiveness or uh, not caring about rules or whatever. The fact is that we use nouns as verbs a lot. That's why to click came into the language. But just, just consider, look at the, the, the everyday objects in this room, okay? Light, uh, uh, table, chair, and can, okay, look at all the nouns. Name all the nouns that you see, just the ordinary things in this room, and let's just see to what extent those nouns can be made into verbs and, and, and see how those verbs feel, okay? So let's just, everybody, everybody just pick one noun, okay? Just think of one noun. And I, I'm going to ask you to, to name the noun, and then we'll, we'll, we'll ask the question together, can we use this as a verb? And if so, how does it sound to us, okay? Uh, just look around you, all right? Okay, so. Let's Gotten? chalk that up to experience. Okay, how about, give, give me a noun, something that you see in, in the room. I don't see chalk, but. Chalk, chalk. oh, okay, good, so I'm sorry, chalk. Okay, experience. chalk to chalk it up to experience, good. Do you have a noun? Chair. Chair, to chair a meeting. What do you have a noun? Table, to table a motion. Can I have a noun? Anybody? Speaker. speaker. To speaker. No, we can't. Okay. Huh? Okay, you can't speaker things. Yeah. Floor. Floor. Okay, that floors me. Screen. Screen. Let's screen the uh, students. Book. Window. Window. Help me. Hey, can, can anyone window anything? Huh? Oh, really? Okay, good. A technical term window, but it's not in the common language. Okay. What? Uh, light to light the room. Uh, uh, to desk. I don't think, huh? To desk? Book. To book? Huh? Did you say book? Oh, I'm sorry. Bottle? To bottle things? Good. Okay, yes. Good. Well, okay. So you see, with, with most, it's just, it's just amazing, isn't it? Um, uh, it's, uh, it, it's not every noun, and I, I frankly don't understand why some of them don't work, but uh, most common nouns we're able to use as verbs. So for every noun in the language now, if we have a corresponding verb, we double the, the, the size of the vocabulary right there. Nouns as adjectives. <clears throat> Here's, let me give you uh, an example. Oh, here's, here's a, noun, a noun is a verb. Uh, a colleague uh, wrote a note saying, please calendar this event. All right, I mean, put it in your calendars. Okay, nouns as adjectives. These are, these are from uh, a newspaper magazine. I love its streetness. Uh, a magazine publisher was talking about a rival magazine. The streetness is just, you know, remarkable. It's so niche. Okay, all right. Uh, th this affair is so yesterday, okay, th things like that, all right? Uh, so again, uh, these, 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 uh, these are fiddling with the rules. These, these sound very current, very informal. We wouldn't put these in our PhD dissertation, right, unless we were a linguist. But, the, uh, but we all recognize what they mean, and um, they... They add some kind of expressive power to the language. Otherwise, why did the people use them? All right. 
we can use nouns as, as modifiers, okay, so not, not technical adjectives in terms, in terms of parts of speech. We can use nouns as modifiers. So uh, paper towels, paper modifies towels. Uh, all right. Uh, plant, okay, plant, uh, plant disease modifies diagnosis. Plant disease diagnosis modifies technology and so on. Because of the compound system in, in English, uh, 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 our ability to uh, make a string of nouns together into a, a single expression, we get a lot, a lot of cases like these. So again, nouns are getting a new function in the language. Correct. Uh, wouldn't you hyphenate it? And then that would make it more of its proper form? Well, these, these all look fine without the hyphens to me. Uh, do they to you? Normal. I was just wondering if they're, maybe they're, the more they're, proper way they're, you they're pretty normal. The uh, we, we have uh, really crazy rules for hyphenation in English. I, I must say I don't, I don't understand them at all. Okay. But these, uh, these expressions here look fine without, uh, without any hyphens. In fact, if you, if you put hyphens in them, they'd look British to me. <laughs> I don't know. What else? Verb phrases are dead. So from uh, Washington Post book review, Bill Bryson's Walk in the Woods is choke on your coffee funny. All right. Now that's odd. Okay. That's, that's odd. But uh, uh, the language is so free that, that some writers in really respectable publications feel that they can take the liberty with language to do, to do this. Okay. They, they can be creative to, the, to that extent. So what this is showing is that this, the, the structure of English, the fact that, uh, that our compound uh, uh, expressions are uh, formed by putting one noun next to another, like plant disease. And now that you have plant disease as a noun, you can put that in front of another noun, plant, plant disease technology, okay? And uh, then plant disease technology education. Because of the structure of the language, we can string words one after another, people feel the freedom to come up with expressions like these where you're stringing one word after another, but putting them in places where uh, they're not expected. So this is, this is a, a, a little example of the structural flex, flexibility of, uh, of English. <clears throat> okay, uh, now about, uh, uh, this is more about uh, not, not structural changes, but uh, 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 playing, uh, uh, our, our culture per permits us to play with language. So every language, of course, has puns, okay? So autodentist and entrepreneur and, and things like that. Crackberry, okay, came, uh, came out about, you know, a few months after the Blackberry did because it was so uh, 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 habit-forming. Metrosexual, okay. How, where did, it's a very funny word. Where did it come from? Why, why is that a word? I, I, you see it everywhere. Referring to uh, cosmopolitan city uh, lifestyle or okay. cultural Good. expectations. Good. So a it refers to a cosmopolitan lifestyle. And cosmopolitan is, is a key word because the metro in metrosexual, one of the reasons it's there is because of metropolitan, all right? 
But Cosmopolitan, I think, uh, captures that nicely. What, what else about metrosexual? Why else is metro in metrosexual? It almost <laughs> rhymes with hetero. So metrosexual, uh, when it came in, uh, uh, made a distinction. It, 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 was, it was like straight, straight guys who had some gay sensibilities, okay, so it's, it's something like that. And so the fact that metro not only reminded us of metropolitan, but also metro sounded quite a bit like hetero, made metrosexual into just a, a perfect word. And I think uh, because there was those two reasons combined, I think that's why it caught on the, the way it did. Um, let's uh, actually, let's, uh, this is a good point to, to take a break. Take a, a, a seven or eight minute break uh, and, and come back. And uh, uh, we'll see, see if, you, if you have any question, questions left over from the first part. If not, we'll go on and talk about uh, some, uh, some other aspects of uh, word structure in the language. And uh, yeah, the, the, the interesting thing to me, we talked earlier about communication and uh, whether communication succeeds or not. And what... Uh, 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 if you consider these these uh, these developments that are a little funny, like uh, choke on your coffee, funny, or um, metrosexual, everybody uh, uh, everybody uh, whether whether you think the word is odd or not, you can sort of figure out what it means. And to some of us, that's enough. As long as the as, as long as the word expresses something. And communicate something success successfully, that's that's pretty good, okay. And it's, it's because so many of these new words have that property that I think English keeps uh, as many of them as it, as it does. All right. Well, let's move on. Unless unless you've got other things to add from uh, the first hour. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Okay, can someone explain the pun auto, auto, auto and auto, I think I, uh, somewhere on El Camino, there used to be a body shop and they called themselves the auto dentist. Okay, they worked on auto dents. Okay. It was in Redwood City. In, in, Just a five point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, but you got entrepreneured, right? Okay, good. All right, that's great. All right, yeah. I'm sorry, just a real quick question. These, um, most of your examples, are they American English or are they English in general? Well, notice that for some of them, uh, we cited the Oxford English Dictionary. Okay. For a few, I, I didn't mention, but fashionista, for example, look at, look in the Oxford English Dictionary and it's just treated like a, an ordinary word, okay, with the... So that's the so, word they would use like in English. Yeah, okay. and uh, uh, I think for fashionista, actually, they say it came into the language through, uh, through America. It seems like in this country we're more innovative than in England, which must really rile them because it's their language, or, or so they think, right? It started there. And here we are being free, you know, fast and loose with it. But at any rate, uh, 
def definitely some of the terms uh, uh, originate in American English. Later on in the course, let's take a look at um, let's take a look at where uh, 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 let's take a look at the types of words that originate in America and try to compare them to the types that originate in Britain and see if there's a difference in number or in, in kinds of meaning or whatever. Just a totally random question. Um, why do we pronounce English English instead of English? Ah, excellent question. The word, the word English originated as English. And there was a period in the old English period where English was the way it was, was pronounced. The Angles, OK, were West Germanic speakers, speakers of a Germanic language. And they are among the, the group that moved to the British Isles and created the, uh, the English language in the old English form. Um, English underwent a number of sound changes. The first, one of the earliest was the sound ah in English changed to the sound ah that we get in, in English. We'll see other cases. Actually, next week, we'll see some, some cases that are just, just like that. It's a very, uh, uh, I, I like that kind of question. If you want to satisfy your curiosity, I, I won't always have answers, but uh, I welcome questions like that. Uh, 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 most questions have an answer. I'll have an answer to some of them, and we'll be, uh, but we'll be able to put our heads together and, and answer them all. Go ahead. I've been a little fixated on this, uh, on this sentence, uh, uh, choke on your coffee funny. Yeah. Which is a noun in this sentence? Because what is this adjective describing? Oh, good. So here, what, uh, here, what's being modified is not a noun. And uh, uh, if I said it was, uh, it was a noun, it's wrong. Funny is is being modified. So choke, uh, choke on your coffee is functioning uh, as a modifier, as if like the word very or really. Okay. Good. All right. Um. One of the um, amazing things is that uh, if we look at words that are very common, like reveal, divulge, dependent, subject, they, uh, they're current words, they're, they're, they're common words, and yet they go back many centuries. Uh, these words, uh, the first uh, four, have been in the language for 700 or so years, give or take uh, 100. We got them all uh, from, from French, which, which in turn got them from Latin. French evolved from, from Latin. Um, uh, but if we, know, if we know the structure of, of the words, it shows us what the word originally meant, or it shows us the image behind the word. And to me, it, it, it's fascinating that you can still see these. So reveal. What's the R-E in reveal? What is that prefix? What does it mean? Again. Back or repeat to do again, OK, or back. What's the veal in reveal? It's not the young cow, the calf. It's, uh, it's, it's the veal is, is our spelling of the French word for veil. V-E-I-L. 
which originally uh, came from Latin, where it was V-E-L. Reveal is to put the, pull back the veil. Divulge. What's the die in divulge? It's not die meaning two, as in disyllabic. It's a, it's a different prefix, di. It's a form of the prefix dis that we get in disseminate. It means uh, to, to spread, okay, apart. What's the vulge in divulge? What V-U-L-G occurs as a written word, vulgar. What, what does the vulg in vulgar mean? In Latin, it meant the crowd. It meant ordinary people. So Yes, the vulgar. So just the common people. When you divulge something, you're disseminating it amongst the people. You're letting, okay, you're letting the people know. Depend. What's the D in depend? What does D mean? Up or down? Down. As in descend, uh, what? Uh, degrade, okay, down. So down or bad. What's the pend in depend? And as in suspender, pen, pendulum, it means hang. So depend, okay, the image is hanging down from something. Subject. Sub means what? Under. Okay, that one's easy. What's the ject? Projectile. To throw. So to throw. So to, uh, to subject, to throw them under something. All right? You're subjecting someone to some, something bad. Uh, Vermont, yeah, you've probably seen these. But Vermont comes from French, Green Mountain. California, I only realized, I mean, lived here for all these years, I only realized, California means ca Cali, C-A-L-I, as in calorie, heat, heat. What's the foreign, F-O-R-N, it's not fornicate. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's related to furnace, so hot furnace. That's the name of the state. Dilapidated is fascinating. The, the die is the same die. Okay, so apart, asunder. What's the lapid? You got a lapidary. Lapis lazuli is stone. So dilapidated means the stones of a structure are cast asunder. Okay, they're all falling apart. Volume. V-O-L. We get it in revolver, revolve. Evolve and so on. What does volve mean? Volvo. Okay, it means to turn. Why a volume like uh, like a book, a volume of a, a of a book? Why does volume of a book use the root for turn? Oh, you think turn? That's clever. Turning pages. No, it goes back to parchment and scrolls. When okay, the written word was on scrolls, and it had to be rolled out in order to, to read. All right. that, that's, uh, well, it translates very nicely, because you're rolling it out, and you're turning the pages. 
Okay, that so. doesn't work so much on the computer. <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> the computer's changing. Computer's changing everything. Anyway, uh, so knowing a little bit about, uh, about the etymologies of these words gives us an insight into what was going on in the minds of the people who first came up with, uh, with these words. And to this day, even though meanings have changed and developed over time, and they, they keep changing, we still, uh, we still can see the relationship between the current meaning and the original one. <clears throat> uh, when language changes, this is going to uh, offend some people. And so Ambro, Ambrose Bierce, the, uh, the author who uh, I think was known for being slightly cantankerous, um, uh, but very scholarly, he, uh, he, he, he composed what he called a devil's dictionary, where he took English words and he just said what he really thought about them. And, and, and he, he, he hated some of the things that, uh, 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 that were happening. So back in 1911, here's one really uh, competent, uh, well-known author who is upset by what I'm sure he considered to be the dumbing down of the language. People are using the word dilapidated for things that aren't, aren't made of stone. What's going on? Okay, you can, they call this room dilapidated, but I don't see any stones falling apart. All right, that, I don't know whether he was uh, whether he had his tongue in cheek or not. Okay, but his complaint was that uh, dilapidated should only be used to refer to stone structures falling apart. <clears throat> the fact is now. I mean, uh, here at Stanford, we have these beautiful stone buildings. Okay, if the stones started to fall out, actually, actually they, they have in a few places, and they have to put them back together. Um, when, when the stones fall out of these structures, if you look at them, w would you call them dilapidated? Dilapidated has changed its meaning. What? Do, uh, give me a synonym for dilapidated. Shabby. Say it again. Run down. Run down. Okay, run down is real good. All right. Uh, so we've we've taken the word dilapidated and actually we've changed this meaning entirely so that it can't be used for the very case that it was invented for, namely stones falling apart. <clears throat> um, Pierce also said, "Donate, forgive," is good American, but not good English. They, they, okay, there you have. Uh, a good sign of what, what people's values are, okay? The, the Americans do things to the language that uh, the English would, would never do. Uh, he, he said this in 1911. Uh, if he was on a crusade against the word donate, meaning give, he lost. All right. So clearly, that's what donate means, okay? Uh, uh, in this country, and as far as I know, we, we, we could check, check in the OED, uh, I'll check, we don't have time, check in the OED uh, 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 between this class and next. I think in, in Britain, donate means give uh, just, just as easily as it does here. So what I'd like you to do is uh, make a list just on a sheet of paper of all the verbs in English containing the root press as in impress, okay? Just see how many you can come up with. All right, so uh, everybody, just give me, give me one word that's not on the list already. Can I ask you to start? Uh, I'm, I'm 
Oh, okay, okay. Uh, can I ask you? Compress. Repress. Suppress. Pressure. Okay. Pressure. Uh, I, I should have made the instructions more explicit. Give me a verb that has the root press. Okay. So pre pressure is good, but it's a noun. Oh, I see. Pressure. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, got, you got me. Another, noun, another one of those nouns that can become verbs. Okay. Great. That's perfect. Uh, express? Express. Okay, what did you get? Oh, impressive. Okay, good. So that uses the verb. Okay, we're running, running out. What else? Oppress. Oppress. Express. Good. Express. Depress. Okay. This is this is getting now. Now we're down. Repress. Yeah. Okay. Compress. Repress. Suppress. Express. Impress. Oppress. Depress. And pressure. Pressure with two S's. Thank you. Good. Uh, I looked at looked them up in. What do we have? Okay. We have um, re. <laughs> Repress, as in to repress the pants, which is different from repress, as in repression. Decompress, so we can take compress and we can make it, we can add another prefix. Re-express, we can take express and add another prefix. Immunosuppress, that's a little, okay. And bench press, that's, that's, that's different. So you got them all, very good. Now, in, in these words, let's see, let's see to what extent we can identify a relationship between the literal meaning of the root, press, which means pretty much press, and the meaning that it has in these verbs. So uh, again, let's just use, use your, your examples here. Compress, uh, ideally, given the two parts, com and press, what should it mean? Press together, press with, press together. Compress, pretty good. Repress, okay, as in you know, repressed emotions and so on. Pressed back. All right, are you satisfied? That, I mean, that, that's pretty good. Suppress. Press to push under, okay, so you have certain feelings and you push them below the surface. Great. Express, to express yourself. Right, so it's, it's, it's not only letting yourself out, but it's pressing yourself out, okay? You're kind of using some force. There, the, uh, I think the meaning of press has changed a, a little more. We don't get the sense of pressing, but there's a, the, uh, when, you, when you express yourself, what are, what are you doing literally? What kind of activity are you performing? Okay, it's not, yeah, you're talking, you're speaking, typically. There are other ways of expressing things. Right? Can't you express liquid or, or something like that? But basic, basically, press has uh, the, the, the little, literal meaning of pressing physically has been lost in the case of ex expression uh, meaning talking. Impress. If you impress someone, what are you doing? 
Yeah, you leave, yeah, you're leaving something inside them. Like you, you're, you're pressing in them some kind of idea about you. Okay, well, that's, that's, that's pressing in at least a metaphorical sense. Well, if you're oppressive, you're pressing, what, what does the, uh, the prefix ab mean? As in obstruct, against, okay? It's pressing against. So there, again, you're being forceful against someone. Uh, depress, if you're depressed, you're being pressed down. That's a pretty good image. It's metaphorical, but a pretty good image. And uh, pressure, okay, with pressure, you're getting literally the, uh, the, the, still the meaning of, of press. Okay, very good. So uh, one of the things that, that we're gonna do in this course a lot of is taking words apart into their components. The reason that the text is called English Vocabulary Elements is because uh, we take an interest in finding the, the different elements that make up a word, the roots, prefixes, suffixes, and, and what have you. Um, and I, that, that, that may have some aesthetic value in how, helping us understand why oppress means what it does, but it has more than aesthetic value. Consider familiar words like opposite, okay? Pose means to place or put. Ab, we saw, meant against, all right? Everybody knows what opposite means, but apposite, you encounter the word. I even found it in the Chronicle, which surprised me. I had to go back a few years, but even the Chronicle used the word apposite. And yet, if, if you ask me to define it, it's, just, it's a little more um, difficult to, it's a little rarer than than opposite. And yet, if we know that opposite contains the root pose, meaning put, and the prefix ap, which is a form of the prefix, what? Ad, A-D, that means to or near, then opposite should mean placed near. And uh, that, doesn't, uh, that doesn't by itself tell us everything we need to know about the, the meaning. But if we see the, the word in context, like I stumbled on this apposite quote, well, uh, uh, can you give me a synonym or a little, uh, a little uh, uh, paraphrase of what apposite means with quote? So if we didn't use apposite with quote, I stumbled on this quote, appropriate, okay, or related, okay? That's, that's what it means. So being able to take words apart gives us the ability, I think, to analyze words where we're not, we've never, we've never used them, maybe we're not used to encountering them, but we, uh, we may find them in, uh, uh, in, in our reading. <clears throat> now, uh, let's make this uh, the, the last topic we talked about. The uh, English not only has the prefixes and suffixes of the sort that we've, we've seen, pre, uh, and so on, uh, English is creating new ones all the time. So here's the suffix, gate, okay? If you remember, Watergate was the first one, okay? Watergate was so-called because it's right, it's right on the Potomac River. It's sort of, it's, that's a gateway to the water, okay? That's what gate referred to. But when there was the scandal, the Watergate scandal, the scandal uh, not only got a lot of attention, but it influenced the language. People took Watergate now to be a symbol of something, and they analyzed it into 
water plus the suffix gate, and now gate came to refer to any scandal. So you had nanny gate and this gate and, and that gate. Also, the way I interpret it, I mean, it is you open up the gate of information ah. and expose the facts Excellent. that are Excellent. Excellent. So, all right, you make, you make a real connection. I, I just connected uh, them in time. But you actually made make a literal connection between the gates. Very nice, very nice. Maybe that's one reason that, that this, uh, this has persisted so long. Uh, I have the impression that we're, uh, uh, we're, we're getting tired of using gate this way, and there are other, other ways. So, so like when uh, Elliot Spitzer was caught in a scandal, I didn't hear uh, anything about like client nine gate or what, yeah, I don't know what it, what it would be. Okay, there's no, no gate word was used. I think, I think this, this suffix is probably has, has pretty much run its course. But now look at uh, Mick, okay. That was different. So from McDonald, we got McMansions, McJobs, which is, you know, jobs don't pay very well. McBullies, okay. And again, I think, I think this, is, uh, this is something that kind of, was popular for a while. I don't. I don't know if we're going to see it in another in another few years. I, I go ahead. What? And McSteamy. Grace Anatomy. Oh. Grace Anatomy has a character named McSteamy, and then it's been moved into all these different ones like McDreamy and McSlutty and. <laughs> so is that is that still happening? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, good. Program. Oh, all right. Fantastic. All right. Well, we need, we need uh, data like that. That's great. That's good to know. Holic. Workaholic. Okay, so alcoholic gave us workaholic and uh, TiVoholic. Um, and and uh, I, think, I think we'll be seeing a few more of those. Rama goes way back. <clears throat> so at least uh, to the 1939 World's Fair. Rama. Uh, uh, a display. display, yeah, a big, uh, 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 a big display. For uh, for prefixes, uh, consider prebuttal. Okay, what's a prebuttal? Argument before you need it. Okay, so it's based on what word? A rebuttal. All right, so. Rebuttal is a, a butting back, okay? A but means to butt or to beat or something like that. And uh, because we had that word, and because people started, what well, it was like the, um, the, 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 the Democrats would have some kind of TV thing, uh, I don't know what, a convention or a debate or something, but oh, yeah, the, uh, like the Republican president would make a State of the Union speech. But before the speech, the, the, the Democrats would have to have their word. And because it was before the speech, it wasn't called a rebuttal. It had to be called a prebuttal. So that's, that, that's where we got there. Prequel is more interesting. Prequel is based on what word? Sequel. Sequel. What's the prefix in sequel? That's a trick question. There's no prefix in SQL. What's the root in SQL? Spell it. Anybody? What's the ending in SQL? 
E-L. E-L is the ending in SQL. What's the root? S-E-Q-U. What do you recognize S-E-Q-U from? Sequence, consequence, uh, what else? Second. Second. Second, no. Oh, maybe. Maybe we'll have to look that up. All right. But so S-E-Q-U means what? To okay, to follow. So it, uh, in a sequence, you have one thing after another. All right. SQL, then, is something that follows something else. Now, suppose that you're making a movie, and the movie is based on a movie, but it's earlier in time than the movie it's based on. All right. What, that, I mean, that's how we got this. But we, what we did when we, when we made prequel is we ignored the structure of SQL. Okay? We actually tore the root open. Why? Because pre sounds like C. Pre has the same verb, uh, the same vowel as C. All right. So it, kind of, it, it was a very clever, inventive, devious. I mean, supply your own adjective. But what 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 we what we did with that is maybe jokingly at first we tore the word apart in a way that it wasn't supposed to be torn apart, and we substituted a. a, a a real prefix, pre, for something that wasn't a prefix at all. Is that a new word that came in because of the movie business? Yeah, I think it came in, uh, I think Star Wars was the first one, if I'm not mistaken. So it's very recent. It was very conscious, and it started as a joke. But now we hear about prequels all the time. Sometimes these things come in, and they, they don't feel right. They do feel like a joke, and yet they stay with us. I'm amazed by underwhelmed. Okay. The, the verb was overwhelmed. Okay. Uh, a few decades ago, no one was being underwhelmed. Okay. But one day, someone made that joke. This was underwhelming. Okay. And it, it, it stuck with us. So now, underwhelmed is used pretty much as just the opposite of overwhelmed. It, has a, it still has a slightly odd feel. Does it to you? Very odd. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> you, you still have to be a little self-conscious when you use it. And yet, it's yeah, like prequel, it's just, it's just all over the place. Okay. So here's, here's a case where, <laughs> here's a case where we're, we're uh, in part using structure, like the pre of prequel, and in part ignoring structure, like uh, ignoring the S-E-Q-U in sequel to come up with, uh, with new words. All right, well, um, I said, I said I'd, I'd stop there, and I, I do think that uh, that would be a good place to stop. OK, we'll deal with blends uh, later on in the course. Uh, in, in chapter three, we talk about word formation, and we'll talk about blends at this point. On, on, the, on, the, on the sheet of resources, halfway down, there's an online course uh, on words in English by Suzanne Kemmer, a colleague at Rice University. She has a wonderful, uh, her, her field is the history of English and history of language in general. She has a wonderful chapter on the history of English. Covers more material than our chapter two does. If you have time, please have a look at that. This, uh, uh, next week, we will have a quiz. Whether you're taking the course for credit or not, uh, feel free to take the quiz. 
Uh, the quiz will ask you to identify uh, different roots. Each, uh, each chapter in the book has a morpheme set with it. There's 40 different forms, word elements in the language. We ask you each week to memorize uh, 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 a handful of those. And so I'll give you a little quiz uh, next week this, just to test you on that. So we have the word log, for example, the, uh, the root in logic. I'll ask you what it means, OK? Or I might ask you uh, the opposite. Give me, a, um, uh, give me a, a, a root that means to study, OK, something like that. Uh, finally, uh, what else is there? Uh, we ask you uh, to do uh, some exercises at the end of chapter one. In the, uh, in the, um, on the course outline, <clears throat> did I do that? Let's see again. Uh, I'll give you a reading assignment. Let's see where I put it. Okay, I'm sorry. On the website, on the website, I, uh, uh, I, I, I suggest some exercises to do. Uh, you, pick, pick any exercises you want. Uh, hand in the exercises if you wish. Uh, I'm not going to grade them. I will read them and comment on them if you hand them in. But uh, 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 if you're taking the course for, uh, for credit, the, the assignments won't count towards your score. It's just to kind of get us communicating about some of the, some of the material in the course. For the website, uh, uh, I, uh, I, can't, I can't show it to you uh, on the screen, but the, web, uh, let's see, the website looks like this. Uh, it's, on, uh, it's on the Google, whatever, whatever uh, something that Google does. The, um, the, uh, the, the, the link for the website is at the bottom of the, of the uh, course outline. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. OK, good. So I, I hope you find it there. Any questions that you have, write me at laban at stanford.edu, and I'll, I'll answer right away. OK? Uh, yes? You refer to more for me. That's 50%. Yeah, right, right. So uh, the quizzes, like the quiz that we'll have, uh, like, these are sets of word elements Okay, in each chapter, for example, in the book, for chapter one, the, uh, the morphing sets begin at the bottom of page 12, and they go to the top of page 14. The things like anthrop, bi, cac, chrome, cron, most of them will be very, very familiar to you. That's why we think we can get away with asking you to you know, learn 40 of them at, at once. Um, uh, so th uh, those, are, those are the things that every week we'll have a, a quiz on. Hope that doesn't sound too Mickey Mouse. It's just a way, way to uh, 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 encourage you to learn them. Um, before you go, uh, 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 pass me back your yellow slips. I meant to uh, collect them earlier. And thanks very much. <laughs>